Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is not just a familiar part of the Lord's Prayer. It is the blueprint of what God intended from the beginning of time and what God sent Jesus to this earth to reestablish. The Garden of Eden was God's headquarters on earth. God commissioned Adam and Eve to multiply and subdue the earth and thus advance Eden throughout the world. In a very similar commission, Jesus told the disciples to go throughout the earth and advance his kingdom, which is and always has been a kingdom of the hearts of people. Good morning. Good morning. One more time. Good morning. Good to have you here today. When I became a Christian, uh, I was given a choice, and the choice was this. Either ask Jesus into your heart and go to heaven, or don't ask Jesus into your heart and go to... Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that was basically it. Um, and I'm going to tell you, as a wise, wise eight-year-old boy, I recognized that I did not want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. Um, I... I also understood that I needed God's forgiveness for my sins. Now, I'm going to tell you that so often evangelism can be uh, very simplistic in its approach, and we, we miss out or leave out the most important parts. Uh, most people have no idea what the Bible is all about, uh, it really is about. Uh, many have never actually read through the Bible, uh, which is always quite shocking to me. There are people, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a new believer, well, then it's maybe a little bit more understandable. But there are many who've been in church their whole life, and, <clears throat> and quite frankly, they haven't read from Genesis to Revelation. They really don't know what it's about. In fact, let me give you the benefit of the doubt if you're one of those people that hasn't read through the Bible yet. Uh, it, it can be a little bit intimidating. It's like, what is this all about? What does it all mean? What's it all stand for? Um, a lot of people don't really understand what it means to be called God's people. If you're a believer today, a Christian, then you are considered one of God's people. In fact, the Bible refers to you as a son or a daughter of God. But again, a lot of people don't know what that means. In fact, uh, most, most of us have a vague idea that there is some sort of a battle going on between good and evil, but that's about the extent of it. We have uh, somehow narrowed the scripture down to some sort of uh, self-help book where we get instructions on how to have a good marriage, how to have a happy family, and that's about the size of it. Well, I'm going to tell you this morning that this new series called Eden, the Kingdom of God, is all about helping us understand the Bible from, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. The Bible is actually a narrative or, the, or, or a record or a chronicle of God's interaction with human beings starting in the book of Genesis and going right through the book of Revelation. And what you'll discover when you read the scripture is that the Bible actually begins in the Garden of Eden and it ends in the Garden of Eden. A lot of people don't know that. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, it's all about about God working in the lives of the people, uh, in Adam and Eve's life. And then we, we get to Revelation 21 to 22, and we find that there is a new Eden or a new Jerusalem. And, and we're going to be talking about Eden from Genesis right through to Revelation over these next five weeks. 
And for those of you who are not in a small group, I advise you, counsel you, encourage you to get into one, because over the next five weeks, this is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about God's kingdom on earth and God's intention from Genesis to Revelation for his people. Now, one of the things that uh, we do recognize almost immediately, if you've read the scripture at all, is that there is a battle going on between two kingdoms. And really, the Bible chronicles this, this, this battle that's going on between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, or the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. When, when we read through the Old Testament, we see battle after battle of, of, of the kingdom of darkness attacking the kingdom of light, of the kingdom of Satan attacking the kingdom of God. We see it uh, with with Abraham, uh, well, actually, we see it right from right from the very beginning. We see Adam and Eve; uh, they're they're attacked by the kingdom of darkness, and sadly, they give in to the kingdom of darkness. We see it with with Noah. We go on through to Abraham. We see it um, with Moses delivering the children of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt. There's this battle going on. There's a war between light and darkness, between God's people and and the rest of of the world. And then we get to the New Testament, Jesus enters the scene, and before Jesus comes, there's all sorts of prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ and about this new kingdom. And the, the Jewish people were expecting it, they were looking for it, and so Jesus comes along, and in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says this, uh, it says, the time promised by God has come at last. Is that verse up there? Can we put that up? The time promised by God has come at last, Jesus announces. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now, this is how the gospel of Mark begins, almost right off the top. And I'm going to tell you, anybody that was familiar with the prophecies of the Old Testament would absolutely be thrilled at these words. It would have sent a, a thrill down their spine or a chill, whatever you want to call it. But it... it the atmosphere would have been electric with expectation. It's like, is, has it really come to this? Are we really at this place? Did, did we really hear these words that the kingdom of God is near? That, that God is about to set up his kingdom? This was thrilling news to the people of Israel. But there's something that you do need to understand before we go any further, because a lot of people don't get this. Uh, and, and certainly the children of Israel didn't understand it. Jesus was not there to set up his earthly kingdom yet. We read about the earthly kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the, the new Jerusalem. We read about that in Revelation, but it's not time yet. What God's doing through Jesus Christ is he's setting up his kingdom in the hearts of human beings. And that's where God's kingdom begins. It begins in our hearts. It begins in our minds. It, it, it is all about submitting to his kingship recognizing that he is your king or he is your Lord. Now, for most of us here today, we understand that Jesus is our savior. And many of us would say, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. Uh, Pastor Allen, like you, I, I prayed that prayer so that I wouldn't go to hell, uh, so that I know for sure I'm going to heaven. Now, here's a problem with, with giving only that much of the picture is that you have this notion of this idea that all I have to do is say a sinner's prayer, and then I'm going to heaven, and then I can just do whatever I want. So I can tell you there is, is 
is nothing further from the truth. That this, this is absolutely and, and categorically wrong to presume or to assume that just because you said a sinner's prayer, that now you're, you're, you're set to go to heaven. You need to understand today that you were saved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And when you became part of the kingdom of God, folks, you became an agent of the kingdom of God. So sitting beside you today actually may be one of God's agents. And for some of you, uh, you maybe haven't told too many people about the fact that you are a Christian, so you're what I would call a secret agent. Nobody knows that you belong to Jesus. Well, I hope that everybody understands that you belong to Christ and that you are his agent. Well, we're going to be talking about that over the next five weeks. So let's begin. Um, I want to begin by saying this. When I became a Christian as an eight-year-old boy, I, haven't, I hadn't read many books. I read very, very few books, in fact. Um, but I did learn in school about the different world religions. And I also did a lot of, uh, well, every, I think most kids nowadays know about the various mythologies and legends, different civilizations and cultures. Uh, Greece has got their, their many uh, weird and wonderful gods. And if you listen to these mythologies, they're very strange, and you wonder, where on earth did that come from, and how can that be? Well, I actually wondered about that. I wondered, what's the connection? Because some of the things that I heard in some of these mythologies and legends kind of sounded a little bit about like what we read in the Bible. In fact, some of you may have heard of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Has anybody ever heard of that? You know what I'm talking about? And it's very similar to what we read in the first six ch uh, chapters of the Bible. In fact, there are a number of, of mythologies and legends. Now, this has led some Bible scholars to suggest that the Bible is not original and that it actually has its roots in these ancient mythologies. Now, after having read these mythologies, and I've read a, a number of them and I know them, uh, it's one of the things I've been doing to prepare for this, I've been actually preparing for this series for over a year now. And uh, I can tell you, I've read a number of these mythologies and legends, and I can tell you that none of them makes any sense. They're bizarre, bizarre, bizarre collection of stories. And if you, if you try to look for some kind of an interpretation or some kind of a commentary on these mythologies, uh, you're not going to really find anything. There's no real explanation. But because of some of the similarities and the wordings, like, for instance, the story of the, of the Great Flood, this is something I think that is common to, to virtually every civilization and every religious background in, in every part of this world. So these, religious, these, uh, these scholars, not, they're not necessarily religious, but they would suggest that the Bible has borrowed these stories, these myths, these legends, and they've incorporated into the Scripture. Now, I would suggest that that would be the, that'd be the same as suggesting that somehow the Lord of the Rings uh, came out of Dr. Seuss's Cat in the Hat. It just, it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. It's a huge stretch. The thing that you recognize is that when you read these mythologies and these legends, although there are some similarities to what we read in the New Old Testament in the opening uh, uh, book of Genesis, 
you'll see that these mythologies and these legends from these other cultures uh, are, are nonsense. They, they don't make any sense. And, and I think in one, one culture, they, I think maybe it's the Aboriginal. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there's anybody here that, under, that knows the mythology of the legends, but that the world uh, actually is, is uh, bouncing on the back of a turtle. I'm pretty sure that that's not true. Um, but that's part of the legend. So what does that all mean? Uh, another, another mythology says that one of the gods was destroyed, blew up, and then that the earth then was, was established or was built on the mangled remains of that god. Um, and it goes on and on. And, and you, you know many of these, these, uh, these stories and these mythologies. Well, the thing that we see that makes, them, makes these things seem like nonsense is that there is no underlying purpose there's there's it's not pointing you to anything there's no plot that takes you anywhere i would suggest that these mythologies these legends uh are, are not the source of the bible but in reverse that, that the bible was the source for many of these things that were lost over time now i, I don't have time to get into that because there are literally thousands of books and i haven't read them all by the way thousands of books and, and, and tons of scholarship and, and scholarly papers, papers written on this subject, which I don't have time to get into this morning. But I would suggest to you this, that what seems like mythology or legends in the Bible, in fact, is truth. And the thing that makes us understand or recognize it as truth, truth is that there is a purpose to it. There's an underlying narrative. There's a story that, that, that takes us along from event to event to event. And here's what you're going to discover. When you start in the, in the book of Genesis and when you start in the Garden of Eden, you recognize that the Garden of Eden is, uh, is, is God's headquarters here on earth. The Garden of Eden is the place where heaven and earth connect. They intersect. In fact, we find that, if you want to call it God's home, you can call it that if you will, we find that Adam and Eve are fellowshipping with God. They've got a relationship with God, and they, they walk with him in the garden, the Bible says. That is until Adam and Eve sin. That is until the kingdom of darkness overwhelms Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve are then kicked out of the garden. And you find that in Genesis chapter 3. But in Genesis 1 and 2, here's what God wants you and I to understand. God wants you and I to understand this. First of all, that you and I are his image bearers. In other words, we bear the image of God. Wherever we are, we reflect God. We were created in his image to be his agents here on earth. God's will for Adam and Eve was that they would go and advance the kingdom of of God, or that is to advance Eden, to spread Eden throughout the world, to spread God's rule, his rulership, that they would spread God's headquarters throughout the world. And of course, you know that they failed miserably in that, and in fact, they were kicked out of Eden because of their sin. And I think most of us understand that God in his purity and his holiness, he cannot, he cannot live with man because of man's sin. And so when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin entered in, then there was this mighty rift, this separation, and Adam and Eve are uh, kicked out of the garden. And that's how Genesis chapter 3 ends. They're kicked out. 
Now, in and through the Garden of Eden, God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Before they're kicked out of the garden, God gives Adam and Eve this very special commission. I'd like you to look at it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And you'll notice that this commission is very similar to a commission given by Jesus. This is what we call the first commission. And God says to Adam and Eve, it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. We get to the New Testament. Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission, a commission very similar to this. And Jesus is saying, go into all the world and do what? And preach the gospel and do what? Teach people to obey everything that I've commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Obey, do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus says that, uh, that he can give this commission based on the authority that's been given to him by God. So what's, what's Jesus saying? You're going out now and you are going to reign over the earth. You're going to govern the earth. How? By, by spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. By doing what? By spreading his kingdom. By doing what? By, by invading the kingdom of darkness and bringing God's kingdom where there is no light. Folks, this is, in a nutshell, what the church is really all about. This is what you and I are supposed to be all about. You and I, as the people of God, as Christians, are not just saved from hell for heaven. You and I have been saved to be partners with God to fulfill his will on earth as it is in heaven. And when you and I give our hearts to Christ, we don't just get saved so that we can go to heaven. We now become, watch this, this is so critical to understand it. You and I now become partners with God in bringing hope and light and healing to the broken of this world. You and I are his agents. You and I are called to do what Adam and Eve were called to do. They were called to go and rule and reign. Now, I'm going to be explaining to you over the next uh, number of weeks a little bit more of what I mean when we talk about reigning over the earth or governing the earth. But suffice it to say this right now, is that you and I are called to go and be his agents, fulfilling his will on earth as it is in heaven. When we get to Genesis chapter 3, we discover, of course, that Adam and Eve have sinned against God They've eaten of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of their, listen, because of their unwillingness to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven, because they disobey God and don't do his will on earth as it is in heaven, they are in fact evicted from the garden. And we see right there in Genesis 3 the war between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Now, what do we do with this information? What does this mean for us today? So Pastor Allen, so what is this Eden all about? Well, let me just say this to you right now before I go any further. Wherever God dwells is his home, his headquarters. It's his Eden. We have here today a patch, a little patch of Eden. 
where God's people are gathered together, the Bible says that you and I make up the household or the temple of God. The church is, in fact, God's headquarters. And there's little, there's these headquarters virtually scattered throughout the world where God has his agents that when they get together, they experience the presence and the power of God. God expects us to expand his garden, expand Eden, expand our church throughout the world. When I was in Sunday school, we learned a song, and it goes like this. I may never march in the infantry. Does anybody know this song? Ride in the cavalry. Say it. There's only a few people that know this song. Shoot the artillery. I may never zoom over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir, I'm in the Lord's army. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never zoom over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. That's the song we learned in Sunday school. And you've got to ask yourself, what on earth is that all about? Why are we teaching three-year-olds the words to songs like that? Really? I'm never march in the infantry, uh, never ride in the cavalry, never shoot the artillery? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because there was a time when Christians understood that we are in a battle. There's a battle going on between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. Does everybody understand that today? When you wake up in the morning, you wake up, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, well, then just listen to this as interesting information. But for those of you who say, Pastor Allen, I am a believer. I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, here's what you need to know about you. When you became a Christian, you didn't just get saved so you could go to heaven and escape hell. When you became a Christian, you became an agent of God. So that when you leave your house in the morning, you go as God's agent. When you're driving to work in the morning, you're driving as God's agent. And that might actually change the way some of you drive to work. Says the guy that hands out tickets. <laughs> that may change things. When you get to work, that might change things in how you interact with the people you're working with. You are God's agent there. You are there to bring his light where there is darkness. And some of you say, Pastor Allen, you've just described my workplace to a T. It's a dark place. Well, listen, you can curse the darkness or you can be the light that God has called you to be in that dark place. You've been called to be a light to your family. You say, Pastor Allen, boy, you have no idea how dark my family is. Don't curse your family. Don't curse the darkness. Be a light. You are God's agent to your, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your aunt, your uncle, your cousins. You're, a, you're supposed to be a light to your neighbors. I know, I, I mean, I've seen some, some nasty, nasty neighbors. And I unfortunately know some nasty neighbors who were also, well, they claim to be Christians. I've heard people say, man, if, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want any part of it. But you can see how the, the kingdom of darkness has won in that case. You and I are called to be his agents, to overcome the power of darkness. 
Now, there's a, listen to this. There's a reason why Putin. Has anybody heard of Putin, the Russian leader? There's a reason why he's recently passed a law that says evangelism is not allowed in Russia anymore. How many remember the days when evangelism was not allowed in Russia? And then, and then things changed. Then it was allowed in Russia. And now he's closed the door. And if you are caught evangelizing, then you were fined and maybe even thrown into jail. This past week, I got an email. I get a, I, I, I'm on an email list that updates pastors on what's happening in the West and throughout the world. And one pastor, he actually has had his, his sermons subpoenaed. And, and he, is, he is under investigation for what he's preaching from his pulpit on Sundays. You could say, well, was he preaching hate? Well, no, he's preaching the scripture. The problem is, is that the kingdom of darkness looks at what we preach as hatred. Is, is everybody getting this? Because this is relatively new. This is just all, this is the new developments. Some of you understand that in our school system right now, there is a real intolerance of anything to do with Christianity. I'm going to tell you, this is just the beginning. It's going to get worse. In fact, Jesus said it's going to get worse in these last days. And this is why it's so critical that we have a message and have a series called Eden, the Kingdom of God, so that you and I are reminded of God's calling upon us as his people to be his agents in a dark, broken, and hurting world. The problem for us here in North America is that we have forgotten our calling. We have forgotten that God has called us to be his agents. And we've become very, very much concerned about ourselves and about our own wishes and our own wants, and we have been actually pursuing our own kingdom. And we have forgotten that we're supposed to be agents of the kingdom of God. Paul uses the language, uh, this language, to describe the Christian life. He says, put on the full armor of God. Why would Paul use that kind of language? Because Paul, along with the early church, understood that we're in a battle. There's a battle going on between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Put on the full armor of God. Be prepared for the attacks that are coming your way. And my friends, they will, they will come. In fact, Jesus promises, he promises persecution for all those who want to follow Christ. Now, I got, I, I, I got, I, I'll just tell you right off, I, I know full well there's people here today who are saying, Pastor Allen, if you're trying to convince me to be a Christian, you're not coming at it the right way. This doesn't sound very enticing or exciting. Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Paul, speaking to the believers in Philippi, he says, Epaphroditus is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. To Timothy, he says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so what I'm sharing with you is something that the early church understood. They understood that they were in a battle with darkness. And in fact, if you look at the first three, 400 years of Christianity, you will see that it was a major battle. Christians were being burnt at the stake. They were being fed to the lions in the Colosseum in Rome. 
Christians experienced amazing persecution, but they understood that they were in a battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And folks, this is what Cross Church is a part of. We understand that we're in a battle. And I'm going to tell you that it's going to get worse before it gets better. We've got big battles ahead, and so you and I are going to have to make some decisions about how we're going to live our lives. Are we going to be faithful to the calling of Jesus Christ to be his faithful soldiers and servants? Or are we going to go on just looking out for number one, taking care of ourselves, not really caring about what God's will is in our lives? No, you and I are called to be his soldiers, to do the work that he's called us to do. You know what's interesting? Again, if you do any study on this, you'll discover wherever there's persecution, church grows. It thrives. It becomes stronger. Evangelism increases. Do you want to know where the, where the, where the greatest concentration of Christians is in the world? China. And in China, it's against the law. It's against the law to evangelize. Right now, the, the Chinese authorities are tearing down crosses in front of churches, it's, it's really a severe persecution, and yet that church is growing at an, an amazing rate. In fact, in China alone, there's over 100 million believers, 100 million believers in Jesus Christ, and they are doing battle constantly against the kingdom of darkness. Now you say, well, Pastor Allen, are you suggesting that we be like the Crusaders? I'd love to get a horse and get armor and a spear and a no, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. Those crusaders in the Middle Ages were terribly confused. They didn't know what they were doing. They thought that, like, like the Jewish people that heard Jesus preach, they thought that they needed to literally establish God's kingdom on earth by force, if by nothing else. And, of course, you know the slaughter of millions and millions of Jews and Muslims and, and people of other of faiths. But that's not what God wants. God wants to establish his kingdom in our hearts. He wants to rule in your life so that you are willing to say, aye, aye, captain, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And God will say to you, I want you to tell your workmate about your faith in me. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to invite your, your neighbor, your friend to, to church? Are you willing to help advance the kingdom of light? Because every single person that hears your message of God's love, that hears your message of light and hope, is one more person who's had the darkness driven away. One more person who's had the kingdom established in their heart. That's what you and I are called to. So we recognize then that there is a battle going on between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Here's the other thing you need to understand. You and I need to understand that we were created in the image of God, and as such, you and I were created to be his agents. Now, can I just say something right now? This was actually God's will for all humanity. All, all of us were created by God to be his agents on earth. Until Adam and Eve sinned and fell, and now what's got to happen is God has got to reestablish his kingdom, and he does it through Jesus Christ and through every single man, woman, and child who surrenders his or her life to Christ. You and I are called 
and have a purpose. This is why Paul says to the Ephesians, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Before you were ever born, God had a purpose for your life. And I'm going to tell you, the only way that you're ever going to be happy is when you start doing the thing that God purposed for you from, from before you were born. You say, but Pastor Alan, I've got a, I'm, I'm happily married, we've got kids, and I've got a good career. I'm going to say, yes, that's great, but that's, that's not God's main purpose for your life. You need to find out what it is that God wants you to do as an agent in his kingdom. And I'm going to tell you that's where your happiness is going to come from. That's where your purpose is going to come from. I just got a, an email from Time Magazine this morning, and not just me personally, I think everybody who, who subscribes. And uh, here's what Eric Barker reports. He says, when they crunched the numbers, they discovered a surprising trend. Happiness and unhappiness did not predict suicide. The variable that did predict suicide, they found, was meaning or a lack of meaning in life. People with the most meaningful lives, listen to this, were givers. But those with the happiest lives were takers. Did you get that? So if you are, uh, if you are uh, living a meaningful life, then they say then you are a giver. Givers have a meaningful life. Takers have a happy life. But there is a downside to that. It doesn't last. They did, uh, uh, they did some research. Two groups of students. Uh, one was a, the test group, and they, they, could just, they could just do whatever they want. They could just... They were actually told to go and pursue their own wishes, their own desires, live for themselves, don't, don't care about other people, don't worry about other people. And for a 10-day period, they, they, they lived like this. So here's what the, here's what they, the research discovered. Uh, at the end of the study, initially, uh, the thing that happened is exactly what you would expect would happen. Those who were living for themselves, the be happy group, actually got happier after 10 days. And the be meaningful group, the ones that were reaching out to people, being friendly, helping people who were in need, uh, taking a moment to maybe visit somebody who was sick, uh, helping somebody with their homework, whatever, uh, this group became, uh, uh, well, they, they got more meaningful-er, if you will. So one group got happier, the other one got, more, got meaningful-er. And that's the way that they, they, they use that language. But watch this. Three months later, they discovered that the happy feelings of the second group faded fast. Those who were pursuing happiness, it lasted for a short time, but after three months, it began to fade, and they were back to the place where they were unhappy. But those students who had pursued meaning, pursued purpose, they said they felt more enriched, more inspired, and part of something greater than themselves. They also reported fewer negative moods, and over the long term, it seemed, they pursued uh, their, their, their actual psychological health improved. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. If you believe that you were created in the image of God, that you were created by God for a purpose, 
then you, it, it goes without saying that the way that you are going to experience and know long-term happiness and fulfillment in your life is not by pursuing the things that make you happy or that you want to do. The thing that's going to bring happiness and joy to your life is by doing what God created you to do. This is what you and I were designed for. We were designed to be God's agents, to be imagers, to image God to this broken and hurting world. And that's where our happiness comes from. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you living for yourself or are you living for God and doing his will? Doing God's will is what it means to be his agent. And it's for this reason that Jesus says, every time that you pray, pray like this. Did you get that? Every time you pray, pray like this. Because here's what I know about most Christians. I'll bet you 95, if I can say that as a pastor, I bet you. 95%, 95% of Christians do not pray this. But Jesus says, every time you pray, you should pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, Oh, you know that prayer, do you? Good. What's the next part? Thy kingdom, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer of every believer needs to be, God, I want your kingdom to advance, not my kingdom, not my will. I want your will to be done. In other words, you're not coming to God with your list of dues, your list of instructions, as if God didn't know how to do his job. You're coming to God and you're saying, God, I want to get my mind and my heart aligned with your mind and your heart because I want to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. Because God, listen to this, I understand, God, that I am your agent here on this earth. This is what it means, folks, to belong to the kingdom of God. This is what it means to advance the kingdom of God. When every one of us says, God, here am I. I'm showing up for duty. I'm prepared to do what you want me to do. And God's kingdom advances. And the darkness is rolled away. In his book, The Great Good Thing, Andrew Clavin tells of his conversion from Judaism to Christianity. Well, it really wasn't a conversion because the fact of the matter is is that he grew up as an atheist Jew. But he became a Christian. And he said the way that he became a Christian is that he began to recognize in the plots of every book, every play, and every movie he saw, he saw this, this, this Christian plot of good versus evil, of good winning over evil. In fact, he said it was when he read the New Testament that he began to understand the Old Testament. It didn't make sense to him until he began to read what the New Testament said. Well, there's a reason, folks, that we love Captain America and Iron Man and Superman and Spider-Man and Batman. And what other man is there? Uh, Six million dollar man. The Hulk. I don't know what the Hulk is. <laughs> and and let's, actually, you know what? I, I actually Googled this this morning on Wikipedia to find out actually how many superheroes there are. There are dozens and dozens and dozens. 
And every time one of these superhero movies, movies comes out, they make millions, mi like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And I don't know why, because it's exactly the same plot over and over and over again, right? The same plot, just little twists in it. Some evil dude rises up and he's going to blow up the earth and, and destroy everybody and take over the earth and so on and so forth. And then these superheroes rise up and they overcome dark. Oh, Thor, forgot about Thor. Oh, Ant-Man, there's another one, Ant-Man. Every one of these superheroes pushes back the evil dude and they win. It's exactly the same plot, everyone. Why is it so appealing to us? When I mean, you think about it, almost every play, every movie, I mean, Andrew Clavin's right. They're all the same, same theme, same plot. Somehow darkness is driven back and somehow good triumphs. I'll tell you why. Because you and I have been created in the image of God. We were created to be his agents on earth. And when we see a Captain America who vanquishes the enemy, who, who's, who drives the powers of Stalin and Hitler back, we, we find ourselves identifying with that. Why do we identify with that? Because that's how God created us. We were created, every one of us, if you will, to be a superhero. You don't realize it tonight, or this morning, this afternoon, where are we? You don't realize it, but you are looking at a superhero. Thank you. Where's my wife? She should have said that. <laughs> And I am looking at some superheroes this morning. You've been called to be an agent of the kingdom of God, to go and advance the Garden of Eden, the kingdom of God, in this broken, dirty, hostile world that is really a desert. This world is looking for the peace and the comfort of Garden of Eden, of paradise. Do you know that paradise is a theme that's common to every civilization? It's because you and I, coded in our DNA, is a longing to return to Eden. When you became a Christian, you're back you're, you, you came back to Eden. You're going back to that day when you and I will be free of the darkness of this old world. And we read in Revelation chapter 19 that Jesus comes, the conquering hero, and binds up Satan and throws him into, the, into that pit, to the abyss, where after a thousand years, he will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. And then we get to Revelation 21 and 22, and listen to this. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life. A tree of life. Bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no more night there. No need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Put up that verse, please. And they will reign forever and ever. We've come full circle. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God says to Adam and Eve, go govern the earth. Go reign over the earth. And now we see the fulfillment of God's great plan as outlined in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. You and I are called to govern with God, to advance his kingdom here on earth, to do his will on earth, as it is in heaven. Let's stand together. Father, we recognize today that we are in the midst of a battle. We live in a very comfortable and cozy country where we basically have whatever we want and we can do whatever we want. And it has caused us, Lord, to become lazy, and to lose sight of the calling that is upon every single person who calls himself or herself a Christian. God, we are at war. And it's a war that's happening in the heavenly places, but it, it happens here on earth. And we see it now, Lord, in our government, in our school system, in, our, uh, in the media, in the world around us an intolerance for anything that has to do with God or Christianity. They're not attacking any other religion, and they're not attacking any other religious group. They're attacking Christianity because through the Judeo-Christian scripture, through the Jewish people, the Christian people, the people of God are God's agents called to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And so this morning, oh God, we want to come before you and we want to recommit ourselves to you and we want to say, King Jesus, here am I, use me. Use me as your agent in my family. Use me as your agent in my community, at my place of, of work. And God, we... Every one of us wants to be used by you to push back the darkness and to see, some one, see someone, one more heart, receive the kingdom of light and be set free from the kingdom of darkness. And so we surrender ourselves to you this morning, God, thanking you. Thanking you, God, that you've given us a purpose in life. Help us, Lord, to understand that that's the only way we're ever going to be happy by doing your will. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me?
God bless you. Tell the person beside you, you're a superhero. <laughs> <laughs>